Carly, you had a really busy weekend between your wedding and the Giants game. Like, okay, was- Tubby, let's clarify: it was not my wedding. <laughs> I know. I kind of. But like, maybe, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't your wedding. Whose wedding was it? It was my boyfriend's college friend, like really close college friend. So he was in the wedding party. Oh, that's so fun! Is Kevin like? into dancing and like he attends he he will he likes he will dance with me like he does like dancing but he's a little stiff we're working on it (laughs) that's so but he knows how much i love to dance like we're out on the dance floor you know you love to dance put on some usher and yeah you know how it is um no it was a really it was a good time um you know no drama can't complain good time it was actually in um, that new venue in Patterson called the Art Factory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, redid the whole space. It was really cool. Nice venue. If anybody's listening who's a New Jersey native, great. If you're not, we're, we're, like, kind, of, we're kind of being, we're kind of jerseying it up right now, so. Excuse yeah, us. Yeah, we're from Jersey. <laughs> Excuse us for a second. Um, <laughs> and then the Giants game, let's talk about that. Your time. Yeah, so I keep going back. Um... <laughs> yeah you i don't know why she keeps honestly it was a beautiful day tailgating weather was perfect was that your highlight the beer in the 75 degree weather actually like the it was perfect before like crisp day but like the sun was shining (laughs) um honestly i do keep going back because i love that team like i don't you know they just like disappoint me every week but like you just i just keep going back but uh, the probably one of the best parts we saw was halftime. <laughs> uh, they honored the 2011 Super Bowl team because it was the 10 year anniversary. So they did like a halftime thing. They called out like all the guys. Kevin Booth, former guest, was called out. And Kevin! I cheered. I cheered. Shout out to Kevin Booth. I cheered as loud as I could for him. Does yeah. he know that? Does he know that you were supporting? He does. I let him know. I let him know. I was like, <laughs> sure. by the way, by the way, and uh, that was nice. Tom Coughlin spoke, um, so that that was fine. But um, yeah, then back to reality, and you know, the most cheering I did was for Kevin Booth. Let's just say that. <laughs> oh my god! Um, you know, the Jets didn't lose though, so some New York teams are prospering. Yeah, because they didn't play. Yeah, but also oh. the <laughs> and also the Knicks too in their preseason games. They're also killing it. So I was really love happy. That. That love that. Love that they're killing it in games that don't count. I know, but okay, <laughs> I understand that and I respect that. Like I'm not gonna sit here and try to like hype up the preseason Knicks, but yeah. Julius Randall just had a really, really exciting game winner. He had MSG on their feet, and like as a Knicks fan which I'm personally not really a Knicks fan, but I just have a lot of friends that are. Like, they're just so hyped. Because for the first time in forever, like, this team actually has chemistry. Like, they're actually good. Yeah, like, what a concept. So, also, the Rangers got their first win under their new head coach, Gerard Gallant. So, you know, it's not all bad. And then the Jaguars. Let's talk about that, Carly. Okay. Let's They're- talk about it. The Jags get their first win. They have to go out of the country to get it <laughs> against the Dolphins in London. Okay, but there was a very cool – before we talk about the actual football aspect, there was a very cool storyline coming out of that game. Um, their kicker was actually, like, a software engineer, apparently, which is, like, crazy. But he's, oh, like, the guy, Matthew Wright, his 53-yard field goal. Yes, of what, game winner. Elvis. Exactly, to victory. And there's, like, a funny quote from Trevor Lawrence. 
He said, quote, he was telling me he was like a software engineer like a month and a half ago. Just crazy. You can't even make it up. Like, that's just <laughs> that's just wild. Though. That is funny. Also, Trevor Lawrence had a good quote before they went to London. He was like, we're traveling all the way to Europe to play a team that's like a two hour drive away. <laughs> or whatever it is like whatever That's the distance is and he was like it's just funny <laughs> yeah no it's actually hilarious uh yeah so they get their first win um yeah trevor lawrence get, gets a taste of winning in the nfl so does urban meyer but we i think trevor deserves it more personally <laughs> yeah no he did great and i'm really happy for the kicker obviously like he's a 25 year old guy the team like swarmed him he didn't have much to say in the post-game conference. He said he's not a huge talker, but he's just here to do his well, job. Software engineer. Okay. Software engineer. <laughs> Turn kicker. Love um, As I said before, not much to cheer about for the Giants. They should just fire everyone. Moving on. Not wasting my breath. <laughs> not even wasting your time. Uh, wow. The Ravens. This is surprising. They smacked the Chargers 34-6. Oh, my. Like, that was shocking to me, actually. I really thought that was going to be a game. Yeah. Who did you but, watch it? I didn't watch it, but I was surprised when I saw the score. I'm curious what happened. I know. I love when I, I see notifications like that on my phone. I'm like, um, I'm going to be watching the highlight reel for that later. Yeah, like that's <laughs> wild. Um, and last thing regarding the NFL that definitely want to cover, the Washington football team honored the late sean taylor and retired his jersey so for those who don't know sean taylor was a fifth round pick with the team in 04 he quickly became an all pro caliber db in 2007 taylor was tragically shot in his own home after an armed robbery and he died from his injuries just like a really sad terrible story like growing up i always heard his name i always heard like how you know important was like have like his number was so important to the organization number 21 he wore like a lot of got like safeties and dbs will wear that number to honor him um and chase young honored him in like a really perfect way uh young had his face mask covered in small pieces of white tape and that was a look that taylor used to rock during his time with the team um so just you know a somber day but also uh, day to honor you know someone that was really um Im- important to their their team and their organization there was unfortunately though some drama that occurred uh yes yeah it's not great jackson mahomes the sky's been in the headlines too many times for my liking i'm sorry but he, yeah he just always like finds himself in the it's headlines. Like it's, it's like attention seeking i know i'm like jackson just please sit down yeah like, do so it's patrick mahomes little brother right yeah, it's his little brother, and he apologized. But he was doing a TikTok dance yeah. on, like, Sean Taylor's, like, memorial <sighs> thing on the yeah. field. And I just, like, have some self-awareness. Like, it's not – and this is what I don't like about social media these days. It's, like, it's not all about your stupid little dance. Yeah. and You know what I mean? Here's the thing. Not only did he dance on his number on the sidelines, mm-hmm. but a lot of people were criticizing Washington for putting the number in the VIP section in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, it says, Jackson, he tweeted, I want to sincerely apologize for accidentally being on the Sean Taylor number 21 at FedEx Field. We were decided to stay in that area, and I meant absolutely no disrespect to him or his family. So he apologized, but there were some critiques of the ceremony. Um, 
the road that they dedicated for him was like in front of porta potties. They didn't obviously mm. appreciate that. The halftime ceremony didn't have like really any speeches or recognition. Yeah. So you know, unfortunately, such a beautiful ceremony was tainted by criticism. I didn't watch it myself, so I'm yeah, I didn't watch it either. What comes out? Yeah, but, yeah. So. Yeah, well, um, let's touch on college football a bit. Um, just like a bit of shocking news out of Louisiana. So L- LSU head coach Ed Orgeron and LSU have decided to part ways after this season. Um, coach O, as he is so lovably known by his fans, and his players won the national championship with LSU in 2019. Joe Burrow was on that team to name a significant guy. Um, so kind of just a surprising narrative here um, after, you know, only two seasons away from a national championship. Big news for the WNBA finals. Um, you know, I want to just be open and honest that in past years, I had never watched the finals, the WNBA finals. Um I wasn't a huge women's basketball fan. I never gave it um, the time. And due to the fact that these were two really, really exciting teams between the Sky and the Mercury, some really big names like Diana Taurasi, mm-hmm. Candace Parker, these are women individually that I had respected and always watched highlights of, and I wanted to see how this would play out. Now, obviously, the major headline here with the Chicago Sky winning is Candace Parker. She had been in this place before. She's been she'd been in game four of the WMA finals twice with a yeah. chance to win on her home court, but she was 0-2 in those games. Um, you know, it's really heartbreaking the two exits she had from the with the Los Angeles Sparks. Now she's, you know, on this new team, you know, leading Chicago. And I won't lie, I was not rooting for the sky. Yes, I love Candace Parker, but I also love Dana Tarasi. <laughs> I like women like Sophie Cunningham who are coming up and really making strides. But you gotta give it to this you gotta give it to her. You gotta give it to Chicago. Um, it was an awesome win. I really, really enjoyed seeing um the Bulls celebrate a lot of NBA players. I saw Dwayne Wade tweeting, I saw um just a lot of people coming together and really like celebrating them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she had 16 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, and four steals on Sunday's game. We're recording this on Monday, guys. And I just think it's it's crazy. I mean, watching her in the postseason, it's it's electric. She's amazing. I think like it's notable to talk about that Candace Parker decided to come back to Chicago Sky this year mm-hmm. after 13 seasons in LA. Um, so to be able to come home and win a championship, really significant for her. A really cool quote um, talking about the game. She said, quote, I could have had four or five WNBA t- and I could also have zero. I think it's made me really wow. understand how important – I think it's made me really understand how important possessions are. We think about that last second shot, but every possession is equally important. I love that. Yeah. That's so freaking true. And it's such, like, a great, like, from a player like that, that kind of mindset, it's just a winning mindset, right? Exactly. And then also um, on the other side, um, Phoenix's Diana Tarazi said she's – like, this is just showing the respect between the two of them, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, like, so great to see. She's the most talented player I've ever seen on the court, hands down. Um, like, by far, her ability to do certain things on the court at the highest level surpasses everyone. 
Wow. So, I mean, I like, love Jennifer Rossi. Respect between those two women. Great to see. Yeah. It was fun. And I just, I really think that like a lot of people just didn't give the WMA a chance. Like yeah. I had in the past years and now doing it, it's, it's really fast paced. Like I said, there's some young stars like Sophie Cunningham. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and then I think like just another thing to wrap up, we want to touch on that. Um, just like pretty significant as women um, and like women news and sports. Uh, Katie Gwai becomes the first woman to officiate an American Hockey League game. So, of course, we've had women break into other sports um, as officials, but um, she's been is now the first woman to officiate an American Hockey League game. So, pretty and cool it, there. It's like kind of interesting, like how um, it started. She went to Brown and played hockey there, and then in 2006, she got became a referee as like a fun part-time job just to help cover gas money for her long drives to the rink because she was playing in a rec league yeah so like think about how it started versus now 15 years later she's making history that's incredible yeah um, amazing so like, we love to see that but uh we have a very special guest this episode um and we're gonna cut to our interview with um him so stay tuned and we will see you guys there Hi guys, we are here with Michael Rothstein. He is an ESPN reporter. He covers the Atlanta Falcons, writes a lot about the NFL, boxing, MMA, and a little bit of Madden as well. He has his own podcast called From the Perch, and we are so happy to have you here, Michael. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So yeah, let's just get right into it. Um, First off, let's just talk about your career journey a little bit. Can you tell us about how you got to where you are? Yeah, uh, it was, I don't know, it's been so long now, like, I feel so old. (laughs) Um, I'm definitely like an old here, you know, so it's been kind of a roller coaster, I guess, a little bit. Um, So I grew up in New York, on Long Island, I realized very quickly that playing sports professionally was never going to happen. A combination of 5'11 post players just don't cut it and uh, not being good enough at golf and uh, a few other things and just was never going to happen. And I knew that and uh, learned that pretty early in life. And I always had a penchant for writing and for, frankly, being annoying as hell uh, and asking questions. And uh, I kind of realized early on, maybe I want to go and be on TV, actually, and, and do journalism that way. Applied to a bunch of schools. Uh, I got into Syracuse, got into a bunch of other schools as well, but got into Syracuse, got into Newhouse School, which is one of the best, if not the best, I will call it the best, other people argue, in the country. And I went there in 1988, like I said, old. And I majored in broadcast journalism. About halfway through, I realized I liked writing a lot better. And I really, moreover, liked being able to sit down and talk to people. Where TV, I felt like, especially at that point in time, you didn't have a ton of time to sit down and talk to people and really get to know people and get the depth that uh, I enjoyed doing. Like, I was uh, like asking the question why. I always like asking about like 10 more questions and uh, really 
print journalism or digital journalism it lends itself to, and I would say nowadays, podcasting as a medium lends itself more to that. So, uh, and I just worked at the Daily Orange, which is a school newspaper at Syracuse, and I kind of just made that my major and made that my focus. After I graduated, I went to, I basically went home to New York and I was freelancing everywhere from Boston to DC, writing about anything from uh, WUSA, which was like the original attempt at a women's soccer, a women's pro soccer league that came out of the, you know, Mia Hamm, Brandy Chastain, Women's World Cup to Shaw's Pro Summer League in Boston, which I don't even think exists anymore. I think it's just down in Vegas. And it's like a basic NBA, NBA Summer League to anything and anything I can cover. And I got hired in the middle of the Mojave Desert in a town called Victorville, California. Flew sight unseen there. Landed in Ontario, California. This story always makes me sound stupid. But I, tur- I looked to my left when I got out of the airport and I saw all like the, the basically like this, I don't even know what the mountains are right there, but it's like the Cajon Pass and whatever. And I had never seen mountains like that before because I'm a Northeast kid, grew up in the Northeast, didn't really travel a lot to the West Coast ever. And I thought those were storm clouds because of like how foreboding they were. And it, it was bad and then we were driving through them and then we drove through them and it was pitch black everywhere, like as black as like the back end of this Zoom screen here. And and my dad started laughing at me because we saw the exit for where I was moving. And I was just like, oh, this is different. So I lived there for 11 months. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I covered minor league baseball there. Then I moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia. I'm giving you the not Reader's Digest version of this. Uh, moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia. Covered James Madison women's basketball. Covered uh, Bridgewater College football. Covered um, one of the smartest basketball players I've ever met in my life and I covered I've covered high level college basketball one of the best minds ever and as a high school student at the time uh, you might have heard of her her name's Christy Tolliver and then moved to Fort Wayne Indiana where I covered Notre Dame high schools a little bit Indy 500 and NASCAR or IndyCar NASCAR rather Uh, did that for four years and covered football and men's basketball and women's basketball and, and a little bit of soccer actually too because both their soccer programs were quite good and then I got hired to move to Ann Arbor, Michigan in 09. And they started this startup called AnnArbor.com. And they hired me to cover Michigan basketball. I ended up writing some columns for them too. I was there for two years. And then ESPN called. The NFL, and ESPN started NFL Nation, which was basically similar to the college thing, but instead they were going to cover all 32 NFL teams, which we still do. And they hired me to cover the Lions. I met Carly. I've never met Sarah until this, this call, but or, uh, I met Carly a few years after that because she was at Penn at the time. And Brandon Copeland, who I covered with the Lions and now actually cover again. And he was on my podcast last week from the Purge. Uh, he is a linebacker and he played at Penn and teaches a class at Penn. And Carly was, I don't remember exactly what you were doing that day, but you were there and around and we met and we started talking that day. Uh, and so I was covering and I, so I've written a lot. I've started doing more issue-based stories to kind of, because Brandon wasn't on the Lions at that time. I think he was, I think it just finished up with the Jets or just signed with the Jets. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but I do, I cover one team right now. I cover the Falcons. I also cover uh, boxing, which I got into probably in like 18, 19, somewhere in there, in there along with some MMA. 
Uh, and I do occasionally some issue stuff and some investigative stuff as well that I've kind of picked up here and there. I kind of enjoy that diversification of what I do because it keeps me fresh and it keeps me meeting new people and you never know where you're going to find stories. Like I was on vacation in Ireland and I found a hockey story. It was really, I mean, you've done like quite a bit of traveling, which is really, really cool. But something that we always like to ask people that we're interviewing is, you know, what is the most exciting highlight you've done so far? You've been in this career for a while. Is there like a live event that comes to mind or maybe like a breaking story that got a lot of attention that you can tell us about? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, because it depends, right? Like early in my career, it was you would get nervous about everything and you get excited about everything too. And, and part of me still wishes that I had that because, you know, there's a bit of everything in any career. I think that you just, beca things become rote, things become routine and, and you become a little jaded, I think in anything. But I mean, I remember early in my career, like interviewing Red Arbach and that was, I was just like, I remember calling my dad and my uncle and my uncle and my cousin were big Boston Celtics fans. Uh, they grew up in the Boston area. And I, I remember calling them and being like, yeah, I just talked to Red Arbach today. You know, I, I still get excited about interviewing certain people. Like I remember I called John Wooden in 2005. And John Wooden, like this was the deal with him. You would call him and he would pick up the phone. Like, like just that was what he did. If you called him, he was at home. He picked up the phone. You talked to him. If he wasn't at home, you left a message. Maybe he'd call you back. Like. Uh, and he picked up the phone and we talked for like 40 minutes. And like, that was awesome. Was just, I get more excited now by stories I get to tell that make it, that I think make some sort of difference. I wrote about this guy, uh, his name's Armonte Bryant. He was a defensive end. He played for the Browns. He played for the Lions where I interacted with him briefly. But I think I only had one conversation with him in my, in his entire like year and a half uh, with the Lions, maybe two conversations. Then he, he ended up going to the Raiders and on his part of his physical for the Raiders, uh, he found out that he actually had kidney failure and was suffering and needed to go on dialysis, needed to retire, first of all, at 28 and suffered from dialysis and had to go on dialysis immediately and needed a kidney. I out through Instagram and then I also found a number and I, re and I was like, hey, I, you know, I saw your post, I, I'd like to chat and didn't hear from him for two and a half months. And after the season was over, I was sitting at home. I was kind of like looking for story ideas, looking for things that maybe I had followed up on that I missed. And I was like, oh, wait, you know, let me, let me just try this number again. So they had left a number in that message. So I call that number and Armonti's wife, Kim, calls me back and is like, yeah, so this is still going on. We'd like, you know, we'll talk to you. And uh, they trusted me with their story. And... I wrote about that, you know, Armonti needed a kidney uh, to survive and his wife was pregnant at the time. And uh, that story, I mean, millions of people read that story. Uh, and I mean, I had about 75 people alone and, and I'm not exaggerating on millions. Like we, we get numbers sometimes. Uh, 75 people alone, more or less around that number reached out to me and were like, hey, all right, what do I need to know about organ donation? How can I help? How can I tested to possibly donate uh they were inundated with people and i mean that was something that had a profound impact on me uh and, and my and just i had never told a story that mattered like that before but they told me uh, hey he, he's gonna get kidney like he we planned the surgery it's in three weeks 
that story and that set of stories impacted me so much. I mean, I'm, I'm open in saying this, like I'm not, I was not an organ donor before I am an organ donor now, solely because of that story. I totally understand. And we talk about this a lot that like, um, especially in the sports world, you forget about the person behind the player. And I think it's really important to like tell those kind of stories where like you really are talking about the person that exists, not just the guy who's out on the field. Um, And it's really important to bring light to those things. So like, we thank you for sharing that. And obviously like that was quite like a, like a great story for you to like be involved with. So like, that's really cool. Um, But we do want to kind of pivot a little into talking about the Falcons because that's like what you do now. Um, So for those listeners who don't know, um, the Falcons selected Kyle Pitts with their first round draft pick this year, tight end out of Florida. Um, Obviously like a lot of hype around him when he came in the league. What are you seeing from him initially through the first six weeks of the season? And what are you looking forward um, to what they can do with him? Yeah, I mean, listen, tight end's the hardest position in the NFL, or sorry, let me rephrase that. Uh, hardest position outside of quarterback on offense to transition to in the NFL. We see it over and over again. You know, tight ends that are expected to, to produce right away don't because you're learning essentially, especially with the way the Falcons are using Kyle Pitts, where you're basically learning how to be a receiver and a tight end and kind of almost like an inline blocker. So you're learning a little bit of everything. And with how they use Pitts, and Pitts is playing really anywhere from out wide into the slot, into, you know, offset sometimes off the line, into actually being on an inline tight end, that's a lot to learn and a lot to process. So it's taking time. But you're seeing more and more that each week he's getting a little better and he's being more involved. He's a very high-level pass catcher. That's right out of the gate and that was obvious he's still i think getting better at the blocking portion of it and he's learning everything but the expectation is going to be one of the better tight ends in the nfl one day and that day might come soon uh, you know i think what you saw against the jets last or what two weeks ago now showed the potential of a how arthur smith can use him now that he's becoming more acclimated and b his skill set as somebody who can be dominant i've talked to a few people about him and they say like when they were watching him coming out and even when they've kind of faced him a little bit here and there, he almost runs like a wide receiver, which is very rare for a tight end. Even some of the better pass catching tight ends like Travis Kelsey and Gronk. I mean, you look at their build and they're built like frankly big dudes are tight, you know, bigger, bigger body tight ends. Kyle Pitts is, is built big, but he's also like, he reminds me a lot. And I, I hate, making this comparison because it's to a hall of famer that so I covered. Are you going to say Megatron, Calvin Johnson? Yeah. I mean, he's a big, he's, yeah. he, he reminds me a little bit of Calvin in the Calvin was faster. Don't get me wrong. Calvin was faster. Calvin was leaner. Um, but Calvin, that was the underrated part about Calvin's game. And I saw a late career Calvin, not like, you know, I, I started covering him in 13, which was the year after he broke the single season receiving yards. Mark. But he, the way he's on, he was very underrated as a blocker uh, throughout his entire career. He was really good at it and just no one paid attention to it because he's a receiver on the outside the blocks and the lions almost every year had a bad running game. <laughs> Matthew Stafford did never had a, never had a good run game. And like, so people didn't really pay as much attention to that. And most people don't pay a lot of attention to that when it comes to receivers, 
but he could be a really good walker. So I see shades of that in Kyle Pitts. I'm not going to put Kyle Pitts on that level yet. I mean, Calvin's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Kyle Pitts has some of those skill sets that Calvin had. I, I don't think he quite has the, the vert that Calvin did. I don't know if he can make the catches in traffic quite like Calvin did, but the body frame, the way he runs, like I said, a little bit slower, reminds me of him. And I, I think that what you're starting to see from the Falcons, and I'm really curious to see what it looks like this week against the Dolphins. I don't know when this podcast is running. I'm assuming it's running this week. If it does run this week, this week against the Dolphins, because I think this is the first time you might see them have all of their op- offensive weapons, both healthy and more acclimated. They had everybody healthy for Philly, but not as acclimated, where now if Russell Gage comes back, Calvin Ridley came, came back from his personal issue on Monday, like all of a sudden all of those options are there and that that's going to be really interesting to see and how they use Kyle Pitts in that is going to, I think, tell a lot, a lot of people exactly what he can be, or at least early on as a rookie. But right now he's on pace for over a thousand yards and there's only one tight end rookie tight end in history that's gone over a thousand yards. And that was Mike Dicka way back in like the 1960s there. And, and that's the type of company that Kyle Pitts could be in by the end of the year. Yeah. So kind of parting from the Kyle Pitts hype, which I was a fan of too, um, everyone's favorite, Matt Ryan. Um, what do you think his future looks like with the Falcons? And, you know, what's your personal opinion on him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, listen, he's playing really well right now. I think he just, he's coming off a, a really good three-game stretch, 868 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. He looks like he's getting comfortable in Arthur Smith's offense, and the offense is getting comfortable around him. He's 36. He's got two more years after this one left on his contract. So I think there's there's a lot of question marks there of what that's going to look like down the road. I, I don't think that anyone really knows yet. But I think what you're seeing from Matt Ryan is a player who is still playing at a high level. And that's that's a, a kind of an expected thing. Now, does he end up in Atlanta for the rest of his career? I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows that answer at this point. I don't think Matt Ryan knows that answer. I don't think in the front office they know that answer. I certainly don't know that answer because I think so much of that is going to depend on what happens the rest of this season and maybe even next season due to cap constraints, competitiveness within the team because if the team's not competitive around him, maybe he wants to move. Maybe they said, all right, you know, they've got to – can't blow the whole thing up and, and start over again. And that's going to require maybe moving on from Matt Ryan, but I think he can still play. And I think that he's showing that. I still think he's a quarterback who's, you know, a borderline top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but he is the last or one of the last of the uh, structure of like the kind of drop back traditional passer where more more guys you look at, even from guys like Justin Herbert, we talked about this actually on my podcast the other day, uh, but guy, you look even just as Justin Herbert, even Matthew Stafford, they can run a little bit more where Matt Ryan and like Tom Brady are kind of it. And really, I mean, what Ben Roethlisberger has turned into now, but he wasn't that he used to run guys that can't really run as much. And, and those are kind of the last guys. So I think that that's going to be interesting maybe over the next few years, if they do decide to go in a different direction where he fits, because I think it has to be a certain type of offense. Uh, because like he, I don't, I couldn't see him working and say like a Kansas City's type offense. Yeah, I agree, and I think um, that's definitely like a good way to describe it. Like he is still playing at a high level, but you know, no one knows. And I think also in the landscape of the NFL now, it's a lot more likely that guys finish their careers elsewhere. Um, yeah. So it's never to say that like someone's gonna stick with the team just because they've been there 
for their whole career. Um, but we definitely do want to touch on your podcast a little bit. Um, can you kind of give us like a quick little synopsis of what it's about and, you know, the gist of it? Sure. It's basically, it's mostly about the Atlanta Falcons. We drop twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And usually at least in season, I mean, it's 11 episodes in because obviously I'm new on the beat here. Uh, but usually on Thursdays, we're breaking down the game, talking, bringing down the opponent to come, talking to an opposing beat writer. Uh, and kind of I break down what I've seen this week and maybe some things to hit on. And then coming out of every game on Sunday, we drop a podcast Monday. Usually that's half of a mailbag podcast. I solicit questions after games and then kind of go through the game and game review and, and hit on some stuff here and there. We've had one player on so far, hoping that will be more down the road. Like I said, Brandon Copeland was on last week. And when I do have players and, and kind of non-journalist people on, I talk, I don't really talk, we talk football, but we also talk more life. And, and that conversation I had with Copeland, for instance, was more about his grandfather who played in the NFL and some of the experiences his grandfather had growing up in Mississippi in the 1950s. And just kind of chopping it up about a whole bunch of different topics, not just football. And, and when I have interview players, I prefer to go that route because they talk about football all the time. And as you were talking about earlier, it's about, I'm a big believer that there's, you know, I'm more interested in the person than necessarily the player. Uh, that's how I approach my job a little bit too. And that that's a way to do it in a more longer form setting. And I don't talk nearly as much on my own podcast, by the way. It's so funny. Um, when we, when did you start your podcast? So I have, this is my second go round at one now. I had one when I was covering the Lions. It went 200 episodes and it got, it, it ended basically the end of last season. Not because I knew I was moving, but just because uh, it, it just did. That's the easiest way to put it. And uh, there was no indication that I was going to move at that point there was no indication I was going to start a new podcast if anything we were maybe going to resurrect that this pot the old podcast again uh, and then I moved and then a couple of things happened and uh you know through the magic of radio stations I guess uh, I have a podcast again awesome um well uh we wish you the best of luck with that and of course everything else um we're gonna wrap up here but tell people where they can find you where they can find your podcast your articles um your twitter let the people know sure uh i'm on twitter and on instagram at mike rothstein i'm on facebook at michael rothstein journalist uh you can read all my work at espn.com and obviously we were talking about the podcast before the podcast is called from the perch wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh you know tell a friend about it too awesome um well everyone go check out michael um and his podcast and his articles as well um and uh thanks so much for coming on michael it's been awesome we've loved hearing about your story and uh yeah thanks again oh thanks for having me anytime I met Michael a couple years ago when I worked back at Penn, um, as he touched on. Um, so it was great to reconnect and catch up with him and see what he's doing now with the Falcons. I really like some of the stuff he had to say to us, and um, it'll be interesting, you know, how, how these takes play out. You know, love to hear his on Kyle Pitts and Megatron. We'll, we'll see how that goes.
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really cool. I mean, I started out my sports career as a beat writer, and that's kind of one of the cool things I found, like, listening to Michael talk about his, you know, niche with the Falcons. And yeah. I think he's had a lot of really personal, cool experiences, cool connections with the athletes, and I'm really glad that we got to meet him through you. So thanks for that, Carly. Yeah, of course. Well, we're happy we had him on. Uh, this has been a good episode. Yet again, we killed it, Sarah. <laughs> wow, I love this, this- so Carly's like the mom that leaves you notes on your lunchbox before school. Like that's how she. Is. I do that. I actually. This is actually funny. So because this week I was local, Kev like and I like we stayed here last night, and he left really early this morning to go back to work, <laughs> and I packed him a lunch yesterday. Oh, did you leave a note? I did. I left a note. It's my favorite part. That's so funny. I literally love that wait carly i have a question that we have to just talk about for one minute like yeah okay so for everyone listening if you know me and carly at all you would know that miguel is like our favorite artist and we're we're both like really into r&b that's yeah yeah so carly out of all this is gonna be a tough question so if you want to we can think about it we can debate it sure but what is your favorite miguel album like just his (sighs) because i think they're all masterpieces in their own Uh... life before but if you can only pick one, you can only pick Okay, one. my initial thought mm-hmm. is Wildheart. In- I did not think you were going to say that. That's like, my really initial thought because <laughs> there, oh, there's a lot. <clears throat> that was like, that's my initial thought. I just but I'd have to like really see, like go through the albums and be like, okay, there's like I love all the songs in this. I love all the songs in that. You know what I mean? But I like, love like, things. I do love all his albums. Wait, I was gonna say my favorite. So I think my favorite is Kaleidoscope Dreams. I think mine that they're a close is a close second. Wildheart Kaleidoscope Dreams. Yeah, that one um, is like a, just a Kaleidoscope Dream is a masterpiece. That was his 2012 early shit. Miguel. All I want all I want is you is good too. Because I mean, my favorite Miguel song of like all time ever is "Sure Thing." That's on the, yeah, and that's on the "All I Want Is You" album, so that's also good. But I was just curious, Carly, because like he hasn't made new music in a while, so I'm I trying know. to thrive by for <laughs> living on the path. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's a good one. I think I might put a poll up on our Instagram about R and B. Like me and Carly are just so into it that I'm always like curious to other people's thoughts about it. I, I like that. Maybe, like, you know, we don't always have to talk about sports all the time. Right. It's like we we're, do have a life outside we're, of that. We're, um, you know, multifaceted human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very multi-layered. You know, we've talked about tequila. Now R&B, we're trying to cover all the basics, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, this has been a fun episode, though, guys. Yeah. Um, excited for you to hear about some of the future guests we have planned as we get more into the season and yeah looking forward to that yeah absolutely and you guys know where to find us next one up podcast on instagram tiktok and twitter next one up pod at gmail.com and we'll see you guys next week bye